Uh, we're the pastors of Inverness Vineyard Church. You're very welcome here. I'm wearing a new shirt today. And initially, I put on brown trousers, but my wife said, you look too much like a tree. Change into jeans. So I have, and I think it does look better. I always check before I leave on a Sunday, does this look okay? Just to get the thumbs up, because my color coordination leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, we have been journeying through the book of Exodus and uh, going through chapter by chapter, and we have reached chapter 17 uh, this morning. And also, I lost my USB, so we do not have a PowerPoint today, I'm afraid. So, uh, never mind. We have been looking at the journey of God using Moses to bring freedom uh, to his people after years of slavery and seeing God provide uh, for them. We're seeing God provide freedom for them and them walking in that. And last time we looked at the discontentment that was in the people of God, the grumbles and the rumbles and the stumbles. Basically, they just weren't getting that God will provide, God will do it, he says, and he will look after them. And uh, we're going to be seeing, looking at chapter 17 this morning and reading from verse 8 to 16. And I'm going to pray before we do that. Oh, somebody has spoken. We'll get a cloth, don't worry, don't worry. Usually I do that, so. Let's close our eyes, and then the coffee will disappear from the floor. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your words. We thank you that you are here. We thank you that you care and love every single one of us. We thank you there's not one of us here that you've forgotten about. There's not one of us here that you are disinterested in. We pray that this word will be like manna from heaven this morning. And we pray for Daniel that he doesn't have any burns from his coffee. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Exodus 17 and looking from verse 8. The Amal Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rethidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame that Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll, there's something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner, he said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Amen. I love God's timing in, in, in this passage this morning with Heather's words. It seems to be all coming together. The, the title of my sermon today is, Is This How I Fight My Battles? Is this how I fight my battles? And uh, I feel it is a, a word in season for us as a church. When, when I think about battles, I am Im immediately drawn to the movie 300. Uh, now, this just happened to be 
Uh, the movie 300 tells the story of Leonidas and, excuse my pronunciation, the Battle of Thermopylae in the Persian Wars. Now, this was one of Mary and I's first dates, and yes, we went to see the movie 300. I actually got, my, I know a few people are, what are you doing? I got the timings wrong completely. We were meant to watch something else. You're all like, I right, okay, timings wrong. But I got the timings wrong, and we ended up watching this. But I seen in that moment Mary's perseverance. She powered through that movie, and I thought, we're, we could be good together, actually. And it's a really, it's a good movie, if not a little bit gory at points. But there's a picture, I love the picture and the premise of Leonidas, his bravery and faith, and in the cause with his 300 men against a wealthy, well-resourced and powerful opposition. And it's a picture that deeply resonates with me this morning as we look at God's Word, because as, as we accept Jesus into our lives and we look to live lives following Jesus, we're to be deeply engaged with Christ and something is to change in us and we will be in battles. We will be in battles. Will we stand against the world's ways, even if we're outnumbered or we feel outresourced like Leonidas did? So let me tell you a little bit about this attack that happened in this passage that we're looking at, the attack, uh, the battle of Rephidim. It was an unprovoked attack by the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites were known as plunderers. Now, you look at the definition of plunderers, this is someone who removes something in a violent or severe way. I think of plunderers, I think of pirates as well. Does anybody associate the word plunderers with pirates? These were descendants of Amalek, and some commentators say that these, these group of people were grandsons of Esau. If you look in Genesis 36, 12, you can see uh, the Amalekites. You can see the Amalekites being referenced in Genesis 36. But then other commentators debate, actually, they're referenced a bit earlier in Genesis 14 and 7 in the invasion of Cherdor. I'm really doing well with the words today. Cherdorlermor in Genesis 14, 7. So there's a bit of tension, actually, as to where they originate. But they are a fierce people. They lived in the wilderness region of the Red Sea. Their reputation was warlike. They were nomads. They didn't really settle anywhere. And they enjoyed and took pleasure in killing and destroying. They were, they they were people that weren't to be messed with. I wonder what they thought of the Israelites when they came across them. There's an easy target. They've been slaves. They're not going to have much about them, perhaps. They look a bit lost, a bit disheveled. Now's our time. And then we see this battle in Rephidim occur. I want to start this morning by asking us the question that is the title of our, uh, my talk this morning. How do we fight our battles? How do we fight our battles? When the battles come, how, how do we respond it's a broad question, and of course it depends on what we're battling, whether it's family struggles, whether it's illness, whether it's work environments, whether it's a family breakdown, whether it's guilt or shame, uncertainty, our minds, the future. It depends on the severity and the toll that it takes. It depends on its regularity. It often depends on the emotions that that battle will trigger. It's almost like fight or flight moments when we come to 
battling certain things. We fight moments, we stand our ground, we defend our position, we attack, we dig in, we persevere, but then we have flight where we give way, retreat, discard, remove ourselves from, and give up. Whatever our battles are, most of us will have coping mechanisms. For some of us, we'll come into environments like this before God and we'll mask it well. We'll play the game, we'll walk the walk, and we'll talk the talk. But inside, we're crumbling. I want to, to say this morning, this talk is for you, and Jesus is for you this morning. For some of us, we bury the battles so deep that we're afraid for them to resurface, so we're missing out, actually, on all that God has for us until freedom comes. I want to say this talk is for you, and Jesus is for you this morning. And for some of us right now sitting here, our battles are, are very real, and they're very out in the open. They're very alive, and it's tough, and we feel that actually we're losing the battle. This talk is for you, and Jesus is for you. And for some of us, life is good. We're sailing a steady ship this morning, but if we are to live the life that Jesus intends, battles will be coming, and this talk is for you, and Jesus is for you. I want to level a bit with you this morning and be real that we are, we are in a battle. We are in a battle. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And as we sit here this, mo this morning, and as I stand, as this new expression of church takes shape and becomes more established in the city of Inverness, a city that has strongholds and areas that are held by darkness, where this place is a place where hope is rising, and we take that hope and we go into wherever God has called us, as hope rises, there will be a response from the enemy. In the two years that, that we have been as a church, the two years at the end of this month, we have, we have, done, we have journeyed that at different points, those battles, both personally and as a church. Things that have happened and we thought, what? How did that happen? Where did that come from? Really? We have walked it before and we will walk it again. And this talk and the points to be drawn, drawn out this morning is a great reminder for all of us here this morning. Do the battles get any easier? Not, not really. Some things really do rock us and take us aback, but we learn what to do when we're faced with the battles. So three points, classic three points this morning, and I want, I want us all just to reflect, is this how I fight my battles? Is this how I fight my battles? Is this how I fight my battles? First point, watch out when we are weary. Watch out when we are weary. Has anybody ever heard of the ship that was called the Pelicano? Anybody at all? No. Okay, let me tell you about the Pelicano then. The Pel Pelicano was once the most unwanted ship in the world. For over two years, it floated on the open seas. It had no port would accept this ship. It was turned away from 11 countries, and it wandered the Caribbean the West, to West Africa. It sailed the Mediterranean, and it roamed the Indian Ocean. It was only allowed to dock long enough to refuel and then go back to sea. 
Uh, it changed its name two times and its owners once. And the reason for its rejection is because in 1986, a city that is called Brotherly Love in Philadelphia, it didn't really have brotherly love at all. The sanitation workers said they didn't feel that love and from the city that managed them. So they went on strike. The sanitation workers went on strike for an entire month. So if you can imagine, a lot of trash, can, a lot of rubbish can uh, accumulate in a, a city the size of Philadelphia. And at first they tried to ship all the trash to different cities, but they refused to accept it. And what Philadelphia ended up doing was they incinerated their trash into 28 million pounds of scrap and ash, and they ended up dumping it into the belly of a ship called Pelicano. I want you to imagine that for a minute, just to picture that. Imagine journeying out to sea, not really knowing where you're going. Imagine being weighed down by all that rubbish. Imagine working on that ship. Imagine it just wandering aimlessly, not knowing where it's headed, a weariness around that. Yes, Tim? What about what? Leading it. Leading it. Yeah, maybe. That, yeah. Yeah, that might be a good idea. Yeah. Maybe, maybe next time it comes along, we'll, we'll suggest that. We'll suggest that. I wonder that picture of just that weight and that weariness. I wonder if we can resonate with that, that uh, yeah, just that picture of aimlessly wandering. When we look at the word weary, the definition says extreme tiredness. And for some of us, I wonder whether certain parts of our life just feel a little weary right now. And if we're look, to look at the passage, there's a passage in Deuteronomy that explains the Amalekites in a bit more detail. In uh, chapter 25, verse 17 to 18, it says this, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. We must watch out when we are weary. You know, the, the enemy is clever. The enemy won't often come head on and he often won't make it obvious. It will often be by surprise and it'll often catch us when we are weary and when we are faint, when we are exhausted with life. And he will know for each and every one of us exactly where to attack. He will know how to pounce at our weakest when we are fragile and life's events have been chipping away at us. And then perhaps we find our hearts begin to harden and our actions shift. Perhaps our, our friendship circles change slightly and provoke uh, negativity. Perhaps we start gossiping about work colleagues. Perhaps we start watching programs that grow unhealthy thoughts and unhealthy habits. Perhaps we have not just a glass of wine, but a bottle of wine a night to get to sleep. Perhaps our thought, presses, thought processes take us to actually really dark and scary places. Perhaps worry starts to really grip our finances and we hold on very tight to that side of things. You know, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary. Doesn't just finish there. And I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Wow.
You know, just like the Amalekites, there's a lot of similarities with the enemy. Satan is a plunderer. Satan is opportunistic. Satan will steal. Satan will destroy if we let him. So I want to say, church, this morning, we need to watch when we are weary and put steps in place to protect us, to draw close to Jesus and to cling to him. Uh, a few years ago, in our, we were site pastors of a church that's now called Catalyst Vineyard Church, and uh, we had a baptism service. We met in a school like this, and of course, we don't have a baptism tank, but we managed somehow to source a mobile baptism tank. And uh, it was like a big wooden thing that you screwed together, and then you had the rubber that you had to put around it, and then you'd fill it up. So we put this out in the car park in Ellen, and we got a hose from the janitor's office, and we started filling it with freezing cold water. So we started at about half nine. We thought, okay, that'll take about half an hour to fill up. And uh, we went back. It was starting to fill up. That's great. And then the countdown came on, similar to what we have here. And I thought, I'll go and check on the baptism tank. I'll see that it's looking all right. So I went outside, check on the baptism tank. It was full. No more water and getting through. Great. That's fine. So then I went into the janitor's office where uh, the hose was coming from. And it was stressful. Let me tell you, there was a hose, somehow it detached from the clip, and it was spraying, I'm not even joking, spraying everywhere around the janitor's office. And there was water. You walked into the janitor's office, and you could feel the sludge of the water everywhere. There was computers, there was a photocopier, there was desks. The room was flooded. And what we then proceeded to do is uh, we got one of the guys, he went home and got a few towels, and he stayed the whole service and he ended up just wringing out the towels and then outside, wringing up the towels outside. And I thought, that's us. We're out of the school. And I had a chaplaincy meeting the next week. And they were actually moving to a new building in about six months' time. And the head teacher just whispered to me, heard you had a good time on Sunday, Thomas. <laughs> There's a funny smell in the janitor's office now. Well, that's one of our baptism memories. But you know what would, would have been ridiculous? It would have been ridiculous if Paul, who was the person that was the towel man and who we were forever eternally grateful for, if he had been mopping and getting the towels continuously while the water was still leaking everywhere. You can always, almost imagine it, can't you? The, the music, you know, he's trying to get the towels and there's water behind him still pouring. It's an endless task. He's there for years. Everyone's forgotten who Paul is. It would, it would have been ludicrous. He's got to get to the source and he's got to switch it off. Otherwise, it would be never-ending. I wonder how many of us need to do that. And actually, our weariness is coming from trying to patch it all up ourselves. When in fact, Jesus is saying, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. So we're to watch out when we're weary. But we've also to watch out for those of us who are part of our church family who are weary also. And we, we support some of us will be fighting strong here this morning. And our role, our call is to step up and to love. It's a chance for us to give out. To have close friendships that look to God and provide accountability when we're weary, when we struggle. It's, it's saying to someone, I'm feeling a bit, life's a bit tough just now. And I just want to tell you what my default action is when life is tough. What I go to that isn't good. Can you ask me about that? 
Can you check I'm doing okay? Can we actually come to God together? Can we spend a time in worship together? Can we look at what God's Word says? Can you pray for me? Can you text me in a couple of days and just ask me how that is going? We need each other. We need each other. Which leads to my second point. We need others around us. Verse 9. Everybody to play their part. We need each other. We see the attack happen first. It's the first line we read in this passage. The Amalekites are going for the ones who are weary. And then Moses responds by introducing Joshua. And this is the first time we hear of Joshua. Forty years later, he will lead the Israelites into the promised land. And he says to him, go and get men to fight. And then we see a great couple of verses. It says, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. We see this beautiful picture of Moses, Aaron, who's his brother, and Hur, eh, who is said to be Moses' brother-in-law. Some commentators think that her was the husband of Miriam. They're helping Moses hold his hands up to triumph. We can't do this alone. We can't do this alone. You might be thinking this morning, I'm, I'm carrying it. I'm doing okay. It's just me. I don't really want to share what's going on. People don't need to be involved in the real stuff. We can come get a coffee. How's you? Yeah, fine. How are you? Yes, fine. Yeah, see you next week. Yeah, great. At that point, if we live like that, we're not going to be able to keep our hands up. We're going to be plundered. We need each other. And you know, sometimes in the battles where we can't muster any more strength, we need someone to come alongside and to lift our hands up when we don't have the energy to do it ourselves to show up, to be there for us, even it feels like we can't go on anymore, when we feel like dropping it completely, to have someone who will show up and who will stay. I want to ask us this morning, who is that person? Have we got that person in our lives that will look us in the whites of our eyes and say, I am getting a hold of you and I will lift your hands up because God is good and we fight this battle together. I love verse 12. I love verse 12. It says in verse, I've just wrote, I love verse 12 and I haven't expanded, so I need to read verse 12 and remind myself what verse 12 says. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put, put it under him. We've already read that. Why did? Yes, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. By himself, he was lowering his hands. With others, they were steady. We need others around us in our battles that will be in it for the long haul. I was just really struck till sunset. This is a long time. This is investment. This is playing the long game. This is like, I'm here for you through thick and thin till the sun goes down. A pastor in America called Kevin DeYoung says, we need someone in our lives who will say, I'll pray for you when you run out of prayers. I'll keep praying for you when your prayers have turned into anxiety. Do you ever have that with your prayers? You're trying to pray and all you're really doing is cycling through the same set of circumstances again and again. And all the what-ifs, unknowns, and bad things that could happen. Even Paul prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh to be removed. And then he said, okay, I'm just going to leave it up to God's grace. 
Sometimes we have to say, I don't even know if I can pray about this particular thing anymore. Would you hold up my arms? And our values as a church have family in them. And some of us are hesitant because our experience perhaps of church hasn't been a great one. Or perhaps just being in church and opening up just feels an alien thing. And some of us here are sure that we're okay. Some of us maybe perhaps are too comfortable. We're called to make a difference to community, to showing up. We need Aaron and hers in our lives and in the battles. Maybe we are someone's Aaron and her, but who are yours? So I'd urge us as a family, if you call Inverness Vineyard Church your place, get stuck into a small group. Please, get stuck into a small group. If it doesn't fit, make it fit. Or come to us and start one. Go, take a deep breath and be the one who is more open, more real, and watch God bring the battles into the rightful place. We need others around us. And then finally, I will continue to lift him up. The Lord is my banner. After the victory, which actually turned out to be a really rare one for the Israelites, we read in verse 15, Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. Israel, like us, are not fighting our battles alone. They, like us, are traveling with the very presence of God. We are never to be underdogs in our battles. The Lord is my banner. The original uh, wording of that is Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. And banners are visible. They're used in war to commemorate, to remember, to declare what happened. So when Moses built the altar and called it, the Lord is my banner, he was creating a place of remembrance, a place of victory, and a place of thanksgiving. The Lord is my banner, and we are the Lord's. He should reframe our battles. If we are going through a battle right now, he should reframe our battles. That we will overcome, that our battles won't define us, but the breakthrough that Jesus provides will. The Lord is my banner is a reminder of God's love in defeating sin. In sending his son Jesus to die for us. The Lord is my banner is for the sinless man to take my sin upon himself to reconcile us to a right relationship with God. The Lord is my banner is for an eternal future secured by the cross. The Lord is my banner is for the promise that this is not it, the best is yet to come. The Lord is my banner is for declaring hope over the valleys that perhaps we are in right now or perhaps yet to drop into because God is good and I am who he says I am. I am a child, I am treasured, and I am dearly beloved. For where his presence is, his power is. Notice the staff. When he's raising his hands, the staff is there, a demonstration of power. That very same staff that was pointed towards parting the Red Sea, that was pointed to get water from a rock, victory in the battle. His staff was a demonstration of his power, and his power comes from his presence. So we rally to him we fight for him, and he fights for us. So just to close, this is how we fight our battles. We watch when we're weary. We invite others into the battle, and we continue to lift him up. The Lord is my banner. You know, the battle of Rephidim actually translates of as resting places. The battle of resting places. It's fascinating, isn't it? The battle of resting. Where, where do we rest in? The 
battle of resting places. Where do our hearts rest now in the battles? Uncertainty or reassurance? Survival or victory? Fear or peace? There's a song that we sing as a church. It says, it may feel like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And the root of that story, there's a, a YouTube video. I just YouTubed the story of that video. And it's based on a passage in Second Kings 6 with Elisha. And Elisha was a prophet used by God. And we see in this passage the king wanting to do harm. And Elisha's servant is freaking out a little bit. He's going, ah, people are coming for us. And we have an amazing picture unfold. Let me read Second Kings. And it starts in verse 13. Go find out where he is. This is the king. So that I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he said, then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Picture that. They surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Let's stand.